0: Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam.
1: My name is Sydney.
0: And we are two members of the JLU podcast team who enjoy analyzing the DC films from Warner Brothers Studios. Other contributors to this episode are Alessandro and Rebecca.
1: You can find us individually on Twitter, and you can follow the show at JLU Podcast.
0: In this episode, we are covering scenes three and four of Aquaman, which both feature Queen Atlanta. In scene three, we have her fight scene in the lighthouse against the Atlantean commandos. And in scene four, we have her farewell to Tom and young Arthur on the dock. And these scenes are the last time that we're going to see Nicole Kidman as Queen Atlanta for quite some time. Her character will, of course, have a big presence in the movie and will be talked about by Arthur and Mira and all that kinds of things, so she has a big influence in the movie. But we don't actually see her again until much later on, uh, spoiler alert, when uh, she's, you know, found and recovered near the Earth's core. So here we really have like one last chance to really feature Atlanta and see her in action and also see her emotional connection with her family and with Tom. And uh, Sydney, this is your first time on, uh, you know, speaking live about Aquaman. So I was wondering about your opinion about Nicole Kidman in the role and also just how you feel about Atlanta as a character in the movie.
1: Uh, Well, I loved the casting from the moment I heard it, you know, months and months ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I definitely brought that with me into the movie. But she was – I thought she was really fantastic. And many cases um, in the early part of this film, I think she's sort of in danger of of kind of like overshadowing Timura Morrison, played Thomas Curry. (laughs) I mean, even though he was really good, but I just imagine Nicole Kidman Mm -hmm. (laughs) might be sort of intimidating to share a scene with. Mm But she was amazing, and as for her role in the movie, I think she joins a wonderful pantheon of of very powerful female characters in these DC films. And her role ended up being way bigger than I expected, which was a pleasant surprise. Mm
0: -hmm. I was also surprised at the, the size of her role because she wasn't just in the flashbacks, you know, in the prologue here at the beginning, and she also wasn't just a connection for Tom and Arthur. She also was a connection to Mira, and then very importantly, she was a connection to Orm. And the fact that she is so central in the like final climax and you know resolution of Orm's arc, to me, was not expected and a very cool way to use her in, in multiple dimensions.
1: Right. So she was, even when she wasn't on screen, she was hugely important to the entire story. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of almost like Batman v Superman, you know, both Martha Kent and Martha Wayne had a huge presence in that film.
0: Yeah. And I think too, you mentioned powerful women and also the family connections. Uh, Both of those are important to this movie. Yeah. I think Nicole Kidman was good casting to bring the stature that she does to that character and I thought that the chemistry between the two worked well. Like, so you do have to go up against Nicole Kidman, like you said. But I think Tamara Morrison, uh, he had some of his wit and charm and his easygoing kind of nature, and I think that played off well um, with this like very regal figure that Nicole Kidman was bringing.
1: Right, and I think just sort of being part of a, a cozy little family is, you know, is a great thing for Atlanta. It's not really something that she's had before, so I think she's drawn to that kind of just. Casual and, and humble charm that he has. Mm-hmm. So yeah, their their chemistry was really great.
0: Yeah, and uh, there's also an article that DC Comics um, on their website they had about the Aquaman film, and they uh, were writing, you know, a little bit of self promotion because it's DC Comics writing this <laughs> about one of their own movies. But they did talk about how um, James Wan and the team really wanted to have Atlanta be a central part and have women be a very strong part of the movie. A couple of quotes from that article, and we'll link to it, but. It talks about um, the brilliance of Juan's team. And it says, instead of killing Atlanta, like so many women in comic books and comic book films before her, they make her a survivor, a woman who actively beats an inevitable death and becomes some kind of dreamlike warrior who ends up playing a vital part in saving both of Arthur's clashing worlds. And that's true. She was the first part of the bridge that, you know, she was kind of the pre-bridge for then Arthur to be able to be the kind of full bridge between the worlds.
1: Exactly. And I mean, this is, this is true, you know, um, I think the the dead mother trope pops up a lot Mm -hmm. in movies and stories. And it can be... I mean, I'm not saying that the trope is automatically bad in itself, but it's used a lot. And in the comic books, uh, I think the most recent take in The New 52, she did actually turn out to be alive, uh, but it was different... Like, the context was different here. Like, the fact that her coming back had such a huge impact on this story and her character was so important to the themes of this story... Uh, was what made it really special.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just going to read one other quote, too, from that article. Um, The strength and centering of Atlanta and Mira may have come as a shock to viewers who are used to seeing women sidelined for the sake of their male counterparts. And though it's Arthur who eventually puts on his iconic orange and green suit, there's no question that he never would have made it without the brilliant women at his side. True I think that's true. (laughs) Yeah, it's the, you know, yeah, he, he gets there and he's, you know, King Arthur at the end but he has Mira and Atlanta right next to him in that kind of you know final ending of the movie and that's not just symbolic like they are totally central especially Mira well really both of them Atlanta and Mira but there's clear parts in the in the movie where Mira is the one who saves the day saves Arthur keeps things going forward to be able to prevent the war and everything so Arthur's able to ride in and he does his part but there's a kind of a team and women are central in that team of making it happen
1: Right and I think Aquaman in the comics is probably my second favorite comic book character, which was a huge surprise to me. But when I first started reading it, one of the most pleasant surprises was Mira's character because uh, it's clear that she is every bit as important to the story as he is. I, I always kind of want the the Aquaman solo book to be renamed like adventures of Aquaman and Mira or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But I loved her as a character and leading up to this film being announced and then you know all the promotion before it came out i was so happy to see that that mira was gonna you know take center stage in this film as sort of like an equal to arthur yeah so this is just sort of like a few years of wishing on my part coming true
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i think about 80 percent of this movie is actually aquaman and mira equal billing mm-hmm. the prologue here is you know a little bit more setting up arthur and you know so there's there's elements where he comes out as okay aquaman but yeah i think about 80 percent of the movie it's aquaman amira and, and i'm i'm hoping i think it, i might have seen uh the home media you know like um blu-ray cover and things might have aquaman amira together which i think would be probably the the best way to do it
1: that makes sense one of the most most common movie posters i've seen was the one with the two of them together so Mira's wonderful, but not in this scene, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and going into the scene, uh, so we had the dog barking. Uh, so that's sort of like, okay, something's coming. The dog is on high alert. And then we have this, you know, kind of explosion through the wall. And it's the first surprise attack of the movie. Uh, it's some Atlantean commandos that are coming to try to retrieve uh, Queen Atlanta. And so the first thing we want to talk about here then is the surprise attacks. Us and (laughs) several others have have brought up the fact that uh, it seems like there's four. There's this one with Atlanta. There's Nereus and Orm when they get attacked by the sub. There's Mira and Arthur um, with Volko and they're at the sea floor and then they get attacked from the side. Surprise attack. And then Black Manta arriving in Sicily is also a surprise attack. So there's at least those four. Oh, there's Almost, another one. one. Oh, is y- there?
1: Yeah, when the the trench attacks them on the boat. Okay. <laughs> Mira just like turns around and it's there.
0: Right. It is kind of shocking that the the trench you know creature is right there. It's not an explosion in from like the wall or something. Okay, that's but true. It's pretty close. It, it is a it is a jump entrance kind of thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like a really shocking entrance.
0: So as I'm thinking about like all these surprise entrances, if we assume that, okay, there has to be an attack that happens in every one of those instances, like for the plot to move forward, there has to be the attack happening. Then there's still this question of, does it have to be a surprise attack or could it be more of a gradual attack where you like, oh, see the characters coming and you get ready for it to meet them or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so the question would be, okay, if we don't want to have four or five surprise attacks, which of them can be turned into a gradual attack instead of a surprise attack? And so, first of all, let's think about this one right here. In this case, they could have maybe done it differently and avoided the surprise attack. They could have had the dog barking, and then they could have had Atlanta and Tom like look out the window, and they could like see the commandos coming out of the water or on the dock, and then coming towards the house slowly. And Atlanta and Tom could kind of look at each other and be like, oh no, like they're coming for you the look on their face could sort of say like, we've been fearing this moment, Uh, take Arthur and go hide or whatever. Um, I'll confront them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that like could happen, but I'm not sure if that's as good as the surprise attack. Uh, What do you think?
1: Uh, I would say, I mean, yeah, shoulda, coulda, woulda. There's, there's different ways to do it. Surely. I think ultimately I like seeing Atlanta kicking ass. Mm-hmm. I guess you could say it doesn't exactly help her situation <laughs> since she has to go back to Atlantis anyways and maybe killing those guards was a bad move. But I think since this opens up the film, the surprise tag is effective. Yeah. The fact that they keep doing it throughout the film is maybe more of a gimmick. But this one I think is okay, especially if you consider that she's kind of going into like, you know, mama bear mode for a second because her family seems to be in immediate danger.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this surprise attack is one that should stay a surprise attack. Like, I think this one is very effective. I especially like it because we just had this nice montage, like family love kind of scene um, with the music and the serenity of the home life that they have and, you know, having a baby come into the world and stuff. And so to me, the surprise attack blasting out the wall of their home it's just a very effective contrast to the you know the serenity that they had a moment before and that's fitting because this is actually a big intrusion a big interruption of the life that they're trying to build so to me that really works to have a very violent interruption of the life that they were trying to have with their family it metaphorically and literally blasts their home you know so to me i think this one is a really good one i would want to keep this one so that means later you might like if you wanted to change it or rewrite history or whatever i think it would have to be one of the later surprise attacks that gets changed
1: right i mean in this scene it's i think really important because a great bit of acting from nicole kidman here there's a bit um right before the fighting starts where you know she turns to tom mm-hmm. and they're, they, both, they both kind of just stare at each other and he looks concerned but she just looks devastated i think because she knows that their life together is is over now that's You know, she's about to do something that she hasn't done in years, probably since she and Tom got married. And she has to go back to being an Atlantean again um, to fight these soldiers. And so just the look of pain that she gives Tom shows that she realizes that their entire life together is over.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. That was a great moment. And like it was building the tension before the the action scene, because we sort of get this little pause when they're looking at each other. Mm-hmm. But we know that there's about to be some some action happening in the living room there.
1: Oh, yeah, from the trailers.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. And just from the body language of what's going on, like, okay, I think they're about to throw down. But it, it really heightens the anticipation of the action by having that pause where they're looking at each other. But you're right. There's also a lot of the depth to the emotion that they're showing and feeling for, you know, what's happening. So
1: it's kind of sad that you can see it coming. It's like, oh, they're too happy. This has to change. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) this can't last the entire movie.
0: (laughs) Nope, movies don't work out that well. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, oh, they fall in love, and then it's perfect.
1: (laughs) Roll credits.
0: (laughs) So uh, let's talk a little bit more about these commandos that come in. Uh, They have this design. These are kind of in white suits, uh, but they have like a, you know, a glowing kind of greenish blue bioluminescence, which is a foreshadowing of the design of Atlantis that will come later. Um, and they also have, you know, the white suits on them. It kind of has a fin sort of feel. Um, so they're obviously inspired by water creatures, that sort of thing. So I like the look of it quite a bit. But I also like uh, how they they give a little bit of uh, connection to Atlantis when they say, Queen Atlanta, by the authority of King Orvax, you are ordered to return to Atlantis. So they're also giving this very, like, we're here on orders. We've been searching for you. You know, all of that can kind of get implied just within a few moments of seeing them.
1: Like, this is very official. This is like, you know, we, we okay. sent part of the military to come get you. So it's not something they can easily just walk out of.
0: Right. And they have the water in the suits too, which I think is a nice touch.
1: It is. And it, I think when she tosses her trident through one of their helmets um, at some point during the fight, mm-hmm. and I'm like, dang, that's that's brutal.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's to me, it makes like a lot of sense when we go down into the water we keep a little bubble of air around us mm-hmm. and we go down in the water and so when they come up into the air they're going to keep a bubble of water all around themselves and then go walk into the into the air so it's you know it definitely makes sense i i didn't think of it till i saw of it saw it but then when i saw it i'm like oh yeah that's you know very clever and makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. i will say about their line you know the uh, by the authority of king orvax you know we have to return to atlantis then arthur has his voiceover narration uh, that he's been doing throughout this whole prologue and he says um At- atlantis's memory is long and it's king refused to let her go uh to me that's a little bit redundant like he's just repeating what the commando already said or oh, so what I he's like implying have to, to have what, said yeah um so to me i was sort of like i only needed one or the other i didn't need both of those but in the spirit of making things very clear for the audience, it probably helps to just really hit them with it. Like, okay, this is what's happening. The king is, you know, requiring Queen Atlanta to come back.
1: Mm, Yeah, just to make it really clear, which is fair because, you know, sometimes I watch a movie and if something really important is mentioned in just one passing line of dialogue, I might not catch it the first time, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is why I like to rewatch movies. Um, But in this case, I think uh, one justification you could make is that as far as Arthur's narration goes, the but Atlantis's memory is long part is the important bit. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, we're kind of establishing that Atlantis, as we're going to kind of see throughout the rest of the movie, is very rigid in its ways. So, this is really kind of helping to characterize Atlantis as like a nation. Mm-hmm. Why it's such a, you know, almost unpassable barrier for this relationship between Atlanta and Tom. So maybe a cleaner way of doing the scene would be for Arthur to say just that bit, mm-hmm. and then the the soldier could say his line. And that sort of removes the redundancy.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah. And you are right that that Atlantis memory is long, is important. It's this idea that Atlantis does not really forgive or forget, you know, grievances or wrongs or things that they view as, you know... Um, something that's not supposed to have happened, they're going to cling to it. um, And later we find out, okay, Atlantis doesn't really believe in mercy and that sort of thing. And that becomes a very important idea, Mm -hmm. you know, for the movie overall.
1: Right. So it's, it's, I think, like loyalty and tradition above everything else. Because it's not like she, I mean, we don't know what she did before she arrived in the surface world. But as far as we know, she hasn't really committed any crime. Mm Mm-hmm. So they're only coming after her in force like this because she just isn't allowed to do that. That just sort of upsets the order of things. So Atlantis is very extreme Mm -hmm. is what they're establishing here.
0: Yeah, either the society overall is very extreme or King Orvax is very extreme and takes this personally and the Atlantean society is willing to basically just do whatever their king says, which is also kind of a form of extremism. Mm
1: -hmm. And it's, you know, it's, it's extreme nationalism, maybe a bit of xenophobia as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're just supposed to be separate and Atlanta is, you know, acting in a way that to Atlantis is probably unnatural.
0: Mm -hmm. And also if queen Atlanta is just subservient to King Orvax, this will be interesting in the new era with Arthur and Mira if it becomes more equal, like king and queen are just co-equal leaders, which seems like that might be a departure from Orvax in Atlanta, where it seems like Orvax is asserting dominance over Atlanta.
1: Oh, yeah. I can definitely see that happening in um, in sequels. I think that's kind of where the comics are going these days, too, with Mira being um, either an equal ruler or, like, sole ruler of Atlantis in her own right. So yeah. I, I'm excited for sequels to see where that goes.
0: Yeah. All right. So uh, we talked a little bit about the moment um, where right before the action starts, where they look at each other. um, Do you think that Tom Curry has any idea that Atlanta is able to do this? What she's about to do?
1: (laughs) Oh, gosh, I would love I know it's completely irrelevant to the movie, but I would love to see more of their life together. Yeah, (laughs) maybe just like a short film. That's just the slice of life story of Atlanta (laughs) and uh, Tom, because she is incredibly strong and clearly has abilities so i imagine they've talked this over Mm -hmm. (laughs) he probably knows i'm thinking he probably just doesn't hasn't had an opportunity to see it yeah which makes this once again another sort of shocking twist to their life yeah so i think he knows that's why he immediately goes for uh her weapon and brings it to her
0: Yeah, I like how they paced it out because so the action starts and she gets a few good kicks and hand to hand kind of things first. Mm -hmm. And then I think she yells to him like my weapon and he he gives her the trident and then she takes it up a notch like doing some trident moves and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's it's well choreographed. Um, Speaking of tridents, uh, as we go through our scene by scene analysis, I want to try to follow this a little bit more with the trident as a symbol. Um, It seems to be a symbol of royalty, strength and power. And then later it becomes important, like having your trident broken and things uh, becomes very key at later points in the movie. So I want to see if that kind of makes sense here. Right now the symbolism works because um, Atlanta is basically being ordered around by these commandos. So they're trying to assert dominance over her. But she calls for her trident and when she has her trident, she sticks up for herself and she fights back. So that shows like, oh no, she has her own power, her own rights and strength. Um, and that's represented in the trident. So I think, at least in terms of starting it off, we have a possible symbolism that works here with the trident.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely, I think, represents not just royalty, but like the right to rule. I especially like that when she catches the trident for a few moments before she actually starts kicking ass, she's kind of just pauses for a moment, you know, closes her eyes, you know, kind of almost like a meditative state. Mm-hmm. And I think. That's the moment. That's when she becomes Queen of Atlantis again. So, you know, I can't imagine she's had any opportunity to, or any need to even touch or look at this trident for a very long time. So, her getting it back is significant. Mm-hmm. You know, this is her life has changed again. She, she, she's now. She was just Atlanta for the past three years. She wasn't the Queen of Atlantis. Now she's become mm-hmm. that again. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Also, a little uh, show note here. For Justice League, we've been calling it a quindent because it has five tines. This particular one does. But in the movie, they actually call this one a trident. They call it, you know, your mother's trident and blah, blah, blah um, multiple times. So I'm just going to call it trident now, regardless of how many prongs it has on it. And that makes it easier also.
1: I think that's fine because actually I remember someone online kicking up a fuss about that uh, back when Justice League was being promoted. And I think it doesn't really matter <laughs> yeah like even in the comics i think his his five prong trident seemed to be kind of loosely based off the one that arthur had in the new 52 yeah same thing it had five prongs it's just a visual thing but whether it has three prongs or five or seven it's the same weapon
0: yeah i am very happy that they called it trident here because to me it's a lot easier to talk about it but
1: it sounds more <laughs> iconic Like if you say quindent people are gonna be like what's that <laughs> Trident is something people know about
0: Yeah So a couple more things about the fight scene here. Um, First of all, it's just, I think, a really good action sequence. Uh, The physicality is very good. Uh, Either Nicole Kidman or her stunt double or both did a great job with the kicks and the motion and everything. Um, Looked really good. I like it, too, that there's a moment where she uh, throws a baddie up into the air, uh, like hitting him against the ceiling with the trident. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's nice because later Arthur does a similar move. Um, On the submarine, he does that. And then, especially in Sicily, he does that. And in Sicily, they even filmed it sort of from the same angle, showing Arthur lifting a guy up into the ceiling. Mm -hmm. So that definitely seemed to be a little touchstone kind of move that they built into the choreography.
1: Yeah, so like mother, like son. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Actually, like a move like that, too, it seems pretty three-dimensional, like something that an ordinary person would have a difficult time doing in real life, especially on land. But I don't know, it, it feels like... the Like if you're fighting underwater, you know, you can take the fight in any direction or dimension you want. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of a unique looking thing in this movie, you know, kind of show that they that Arthur and Atlanta have a different way of fighting than -hmm. than maybe ordinary humans would.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. They can think about moves, not just punching at the person or trying to take them down, but actually taking them side to side or up. Because, yeah, you really do have three dimensional space all around you if you have a lot of experience in water. I think that's a great way to think about it. And Arthur definitely does that a lot. He does a lot of like slamming people to the side and upward and in all directions.
1: And the, what was it, the camera work for this scene and really the the camera work for most of the action scenes in this movie you got those like smooth camera tracking shots Mm -hmm. and I mean sort of thing that you can really only refer to as fluid Mm -hmm. which makes me want to Mm -hmm. kick myself because it sounds like a pun but it's true yeah yeah Um, I think it would be a little meta if that was intended as a pun (laughs) but it's what makes the film visually stunning and the action scenes in particular so amazing to watch Um, because Mm -hmm. it's not even just the action scenes but some quieter moments in the film as well kind of like at the the beginning showing the montage of their life together sort of does the same tracking shot as well. So it's a great technique and it it makes it visually look interesting.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And it's not just long oneers, you know, like long one shots Mm -hmm. um, or things pieced together to look like one shots. It's, it's uh, also that the camera is sort of swimming up and then down and then around in, like you said, a fluid motion. Um, it's, It's not just, you know, pulling out or just going to the side the whole time. It's really has that flow to it. So yeah, I agree. It makes it very visually, very interesting. It makes it uh, have sort of a calling card of its own, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. When you see action scenes from this movie, you're not going to confuse them with any other movie that I, that I can think of.
1: Right. And it makes it easier to follow the action too, because you don't have like a a shaky camera um, or, you know, quick cuts going all over the place. You, you're, you're kind of seeing everything as it happens. Yeah, And I'm certain that it was, you know, Nicole Kidman's stunt double for half or most of this scene, but it's it looks like one smooth, continuous um, tracking shot. So mm-hmm. that's always kind of amazing to me. I'm like, I know this wasn't shot in one take, but it looks like it was.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the moments when you can see Nicole Kidman's face and recognize her and then these other amazing action motion, it all flows together and looks very seamless. Yeah, it's a good job. Mm-hmm. One other thing that I really appreciate about the scene, like I like the physicality, the choreography. I like that I can feel the hits and everything. But I also like that they have a moment of the little three-year-old Arthur in the corner and crying and the actors that they had, um, I guess it was some twins from Australia, um, Ty Nui and Tamar Kirkwood. But whoever it was in that scene, they did a great job of crying and looking like they were actually a kid afraid of what's happening right now. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. You know, they usually get twins to play like young, almost babies, because, you know, the kids are going to get worn out pretty easily. So I'm wondering how much of that was acting and how much of that was
0: (laughs) the kid was getting impatient.
1: Yeah, wait till they're tired and then do the sad scenes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Whatever they did, yeah, it, it really, to me, heightened the scene because you can feel this family around that's getting torn apart and you can see it on the kid's face. And so, yeah, to me, it was just it worked really well. And so even though Atlanta wins this fight, she has lost her home and the serenity that she had and the safety that she had here. It's all been disrupted and destroyed. So to me, I thought about, so this is maybe my bad pun for the episode, but they're on Amnesty Bay, but unfortunately Atlanta is not going to get amnesty from you know from her civilization. Um, no forgiveness there. They're not going to forgive it and forget it. So she realizes that, okay, um, what we we're trying to build here is just never going to happen. And so even though she wins that fight and that's kind of good for her, she loses in the long run and she knows that I'm I'm going to have to go away because they're just going to keep coming and coming.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a good pun. And it's actually relevant. So <laughs> I think I think that's kind of the point. I'm wondering if that was the point in the in the comics. It seems like the name is very deliberate.
0: Yeah. So that moves us into after the fight is over. um, We have this short little scene that we're calling scene four, but it's the farewell on the dock. Um, And it's taking place at sunrise, you know, in Maine, the sunrise on the east is of course a very famous part of Maine and and the ocean there. They have the family together. We have, this is the last time we're going to see the young Tom and the younger Atlanta and the nice job, by the way, that the special effects people did on, um, you know, bringing their age down a little bit, softening the edges and the wrinkles a little bit. Oh uh, my here. gosh. And
1: yes. Cause Morrison, I, I am like kicking myself for not noticing, but I honestly didn't know that they used like CGI to make them look younger. I thought it was just, you know, a wig and makeup. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't even realize that this kind of technology had become so seamless these days. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. yeah, that was amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah. And they pulled it off even on these like emotional, kinds of moments like we're having on the dock, Mm -hmm. where if it was not quite right if it looked kind of like a funky creepy face uh it would take away the emotion of this scene but no they totally pulled it off like it looks very natural and looks very good and so then the actors can just go for it and they can have that emotional connection here
1: right right i think yeah the emotion of the scene is what what sold me that uh his look being real or practical Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, we'll get to their farewells, but Arthur has a little bit of narration that he wants to put over this again. So he talks about the two worlds were never meant to meet, and I was the product of their love that never should have been. Um, so that's kind of poetic. It sounds nice. Um, for me, when I'm thinking about it upon like repeat viewings, it's a little bit clunky to me, because Arthur's narration started out by saying... These two people in the ocean are bound to come together. It's destiny that they will come together. But now he's saying they were never meant to meet. They were never meant to come together. So I'm like, okay, which is it? Are they like destined to come together or are they not supposed to come together? And I know it's both. I know that you're sort of like, okay, their civilizations are separate. But to me, the way that it was phrased seems like it kind of conflicted with itself. I think a cleaner way to do it would would just be to talk about how They're from worlds that are separate, but things that are separate can never be kept that way. Like there's always going to be a force that pulls people together. And Mm -hmm. then to me, that's not as contradictory. So, I mean, I can resolve it. It's not a big deal at all, but it's just something when I look at it closely and in some of these DCEU movies, the narration at the beginning or at the end of the movie, um, I like to look at those very closely because that's an important position to have the beginning and end of the movie. That's very substantial, you know, important places, And a movie like BVS, for example, when I looked more closely at Bruce's poem and then his narration, like towards the end, it was just so amazing what I saw in there. Mm -hmm. And here, when I look more closely at it, I just see the same stuff that I saw the very first time I watched the movie. And there's a little bit of misalignment, but it's very minor, so I can overlook it, but... I don't get as much uh, nuance or insights as I did, like, on Chris Terrio's narrations.
1: Right. And I think that this line here, you know, the the fact that they seem to contradict, that kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, Diana's narration from the beginning of Wonder Woman and how the tone of her narration at the end um, sort of changes. The difference there being that there's an entire movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) between... you know her opening narration and you know the closing narration here it it seems like it's a little bit too close but i think when he's talking about whether they were destined to meet or whether they were never meant to meet it's just the difference between these two lines is i guess who's allowing it Mm -hmm. because by the laws of atlantis certainly they were never meant to meet Mm -hmm. you know obviously from the atlanteans point of view that this was never supposed to happen but you know by the laws of destiny or nature or just, you know, free will in the human Mm hearts. The fact that they, you know, they live on the same planet together meant that they could have met or that they were destined to meet or, you know, the fact that if they're, you know, two separate cultures are probably bound to encounter each other at some point. So I think the lines, they sound similar. So it sounds like he's contradicting himself Mm -hmm. (laughs) within the span of like five minutes, but there's a different meaning behind each of them.
0: Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a resolvable contradiction, not mm-hmm. an actual core contradiction. And I, I like the way you put it. Yeah, it is really about from whose perspective are they supposed to meet or not supposed to meet. Right. So I think that does work.
1: Yeah, their, their relationship is blocked by Atlantis, but the fact that they did come together supports the theme of the film that, you know, love will overcome these petty human divisions. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I like it that it's family love, like, or it's a multifaceted kind of love. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I think that's good. We'll, we'll see that throughout the rest of the movie. Um, The real strongest part of the scene is what you were already saying about the emotion and the actors. Um, And Tom is saying, you don't have to do this Atlanta. Like he's still sort of hoping that maybe she could stay, you know, they've been together for more than three years. Um, But Atlanta, she knows Atlantis. She knows what she's dealing with. And she says, they'll always find me. Next time they'll send an army. So I have to go back. It's the only way to save you. So she's really leaving to protect Tom and Arthur. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, you know, matches with what Mira and Arthur talk about later. And it also matches with what Mira said in Justice League, even when Mira said that Atlanta was leaving to protect Arthur, not because she was forgetting about Arthur.
1: Mm hmm. It also kind of uh, makes me think of, kind of earlier in the scene, I think this line of dialogue from her sort of justifies the surprise attack and the action scene earlier, Mm -hmm. because one thing I kind of had to to think about after I saw the movie for the first time was, does Atlantis know where Tom and Arthur are? Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking maybe the the whole fight scene was necessary for the somewhat grim reasoning that she had to kill any witnesses. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so that they uh you know Atl- Atlantis wouldn't actually know where they are and that's why she leaves voluntarily so that they won't come back, they won't send out any more search parties. Yeah. Um so that makes the the I guess that justifies the action sequence beyond yeah. just because it's awesome.
0: <laughs> right. No, I think you're totally right. Um and I'll also say I think that's why there had to be an action sequence and that's why also we wanted to see Atlanta kick butt like that but mm-hmm. also she had to like you said she had to sort of take care of anybody that found them and then she has to go back before they find them again um but also i'll say another justification for why it's good to have a surprise attack here instead of having like a slow emergence and then walking towards you and then a fight if they had done the slow emergence and like seeing them as they're coming mm-hmm. that would to me um ruin the pristine Kind of location of this dock
1: mm-hmm.
0: because the surprise attack means that the whole fight happened in the lighthouse, and this dock was maintained as this perfect place for Atlanta and Tom and Arthur and the family um, if If they had fought outside or if they had seen the commandos coming up the dock, that would have polluted the dock as a I'm just thinking about as a conceptual location like a
1: symbolic so thing, yeah.
0: Yeah, I like it that the dock is maintained as the spot for Tom and Atlanta's love and their family.
1: Right, and they can only have this this heartwarming goodbye here because they, you know, got all the action over with. Because mm-hmm. if you know they had seen the soldiers coming, then you know, I, I guess they would have had Atlanta might have had more options, like she could have gone out and you know just gone peacefully. But then they would all still know where her family was, so they would yep. still be able to threaten them. Anytime they wished. So this is really the only way that things could have happened where Atlanta knows that her family will be safe.
0: Right. So uh, they, you know, Atlanta says, I have to do this. I'm saving you. They have an embrace. uh, And then there's, you know, some tears that are happening. And so there's this final little bit where um, Atlanta says, where I come from, the sea carries our tears away. And then Tom says, not here. Here you feel them.
1: Okay. that, yeah, so, that really hit me <laughs> when yeah. I first saw this. Um, but that's, I mean, that's a good one. The fact that they're, I mean, seriously, living underwater, just the way that you live, just the little things mm-hmm. would be so different. Like, you know, your, your daily routine, um, just small things you wouldn't even think about. So I kind of imagine that from Atlanta's point of view, you know, what she found here in her life on the surface, it wasn't just love and it wasn't just family. It was just an entire new way of living. And for her, that probably puts into sharp contrast, you know, how restrictive her life in Atlantis was. Mm -hmm. But also it's, you know, in this situation, it it hits you really hard because it also means that she's probably never really cried before. Mm -hmm. Um, And so on the surface, maybe overpowering emotion is just that much more painful.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and... With the strong love means you can have the strong pain of having Mm -hmm. to be separated. Um, At first, when I was, you know, watching this, this seems like the kind of moment where a screenwriter might say, I don't want to have any dialogue. I just want to have them kissing and looking at each other and having the emotion be kind of unspoken. But here they put this dialogue in, and I think it really works. I think these lines, they hit me as well, just Mm -hmm. like you're saying when they say them. And to me, it has to hit us deeply because this love story has to be able to, like, sustain throughout the rest of the movie. We have to know that there's this love between Tom and Atlanta kind of underneath all of it Mm -hmm. so that the ending works and all that stuff, we can have the payoff when they're back together. And to me, putting this line on and just having a little bit of attention drawn to the tear and the sadness that they feel leaving each other just really brings it home. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, of course, we have the the clear kind of marker about how they'll return because Atlanta says, I'll return when it's safe right here at sunrise, we'll be together again. Mm. Um, So that's the kind of farewell. So that lets us know, okay, in terms of storytelling, that's a big clue that if they are reunited, it's going to be on this dock and it's going to be at sunrise again.
1: Right. And it's like you said, so that it makes the dock, it it lets you know that the dock is important, that the dock is symbolic of something. Mm. It's symbolic of their family, of their love. And I think, you know, there's, there've been many tearful goodbyes in movies, but I think, this one's unique, mostly because of the, the line of dialogue about the tears. I mean, this is really probably the only movie where you could really do that. So I think you mm-hmm. could probably do this scene, you know, like, without dialogue. And, you know, their, their looks and their acting would convey everything. And it would be, still be very sad. But this is, you know, it also kind of serves to emphasize the difference between their worlds. So, you know, even in a moment like this, it's sort of staying on, on theme.
0: Yeah. And you're right. It kind of implies between the worlds that Atlanta was not really feeling the full range of emotions in Atlantis. But here, her time with Tom on the surface, she is feeling the full range of emotions.
1: That was another that, thing I sort of thought about. Just like uh, everything about our environment kind of affects the way that we we think and feel about things. Um, you know, it's not just being human. It's also kind of like, you know, the environment you were raised in. So I did kind of wonder about that, you know, are, I mean, as an overall stereotype, could it be that Atlanteans are just sort of generally cold? Does the fact that hmm. they can't, that they don't really show their emotions physically, does that kind of make them like less obvious? So people don't really recognize feelings in others as easily? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's something that isn't really relevant um, or not really addressed in the comics either. So I'm thinking maybe it's it's overthinking it, but... One thing I did, definitely got from this movie was trying to think about, like, what what are those daily routines like for Atlanteans? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, how different would you be because you lived underwater mm-hmm. with essentially a human shape? Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of interesting, like, scientific implications of that. <laughs> but those are those are kind of beyond the scope of the film.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to think about, though, if there are just some physical differences, things that happen differently because of your environment, do those over generations and generations do those actually manifest as emotional differences or psychological differences because of the different physical things that you do that's a really interesting question
1: yeah i mean it it is and i i don't know if it has if that's important to you know understanding or analyzing the film because obviously mm-hmm. you know themes about you know, countries being incredibly nationalistic, or you know, you know, wanting to isolate themselves—like those are obviously things that exist in our world on the surface too. But um, you know, it kind of feels like, yeah, there might be a bit of a different or additional flavor mm-hmm. to it with the uh, Atlanteans. Yeah.
0: It seems like that kind of question—if they wanted to build a story around that, like find certain things that are different, and then that might actually affect you emotionally because of the difference—that seems like that would be better for a sequel because. In the sequel, it will be more about Arthur having to actually live or, you know, make a life for himself down in Atlantis. And so that seems like that would be the time to explore some of those implications.
1: Oh, yeah. Because if it's anything like the comics, he's going to have a hard time. <laughs> like the movie, the movie kind of ends on a on a nice note with him becoming mm-hmm. king again. It's going to be like, fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's like, you know, there's still going to be this huge segment of the population that hates his guts. And <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah, um, being king is not easy. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now speaking of Arthur, uh, Atlanta has final words, kind of related to Arthur too, um, where she says, "Be strong, my little prince. I will always be with you. Don't let him forget me." Um, so, that's a just a, a thing too to acknowledge. You know, she has the love for Tom, but she also has you know this son, and it's it is the full family. Uh, and don't let him forget me connects to the line about Atlantis as a culture not forgetting, has a long memory. Mm. So for her, it's very important. Like, hey, you know, we, we need to keep that memory of each other, keep the connections.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's just heartbreaking because obviously, you know, she, she's kind of realizing that she may not ever see him again. <laughs> right, um, probably. Yeah. You know, that that she's going to miss out on, on him growing up, that he's never going to know her. So, I mean, you're right. It, it probably does, you know, call back to that line about, you know, Atlantis never forgets, but this is just, you know, a raw emotional moment for her. You know, despite what she said about how she would return, she also recognizes that this might be it. And that's heartbreaking.
0: Yeah, and that heartbreak actually reminds me of Man of Steel mm. um, and, and Lara because she has to also say goodbye to her baby. She's not going to get to see him grow up and what oh. he's going to do and become and has to put him in the, in the sh- ship, the pod, and, you know, launch it. Mm Um, so both Man of Steel and Aquaman starting with a young baby and the parents, uh, and then both having this really poignant moment of the mother having to kind of give up the future with their baby, which is just kind of a heartbreaking sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so definitely connections there. There's also some differences like, you know, with, uh, in both movies we see, the circumstances of the parents and when they had this baby. So like, you know, in Man of Steel, okay, there's this Kryptonian culture and we're having a natural birth and stuff. And in Aquaman, it's like, hey, we're from two different worlds and we're having a baby together, um, you know, and bringing these two cultures together. That's definitely a similarity. But to me in Aquaman, it's more of a love story between Tom and Atlanta, a, a condensed, very condensed, efficient love story, but it's a mm-hmm. love story between those two. And in in Jor-El and Lara's case, they have love and affection for each other, but that is not a love story. Like, the prologue of Man of Steel is not a love story. It's a destruction of Krypton story, and then a, you know, we're trying to somehow save the Kryptonian race in some fashion in Kal-El. So it's much more of a survival story, not a love
1: story. Yeah, there's stuff, there's kind of more pressing concerns (laughs) at the moment, Mm -hmm. at the beginning of Man of Steel. Um, I mean, you don't doubt that... Um, Jor-El and and Lara love each other it just isn't a focus of the story
0: right I do like in both of those movies that the prologue comes back in a huge way for the plot there are some origin movies for superheroes where the origin happens and then the plot is just separate it's just some sort of challenge that the hero has to face but Man of Steel and Aquaman are my favorite kind of origin stories where the mechanisms of the origin are also directly related to the main plot, the main threat that they have to deal with later. Mm-hmm. And Man of Steel and Aquaman to me, both of those really knock it out of the park for that.
1: Yeah, because it it shows that um, you know this this story takes place in like a larger world. Because obviously, since they're babies, neither Clark nor Arthur have you know any control over what happens at the beginning of the story. Um, But it kind of just goes to show that, you know, whatever quest it is they have to undertake, whatever personal growth they have to do, it's not even just about them. It's part of a a larger story that began, you know, before they even existed. Um, So, yeah, I like that, too, because because then it isn't just, uh, you know, a biography of a character. It's, It's sort of like putting them in the context of their world. Mm hmm. Um, there's some bits where that Wonder Woman kind of does stuff like this as well, uh, the difference being that, you know, her mother has to let her go when she's an ad- you know, already an adult, essentially. Um, but, you know, it's the same sort of story that begins when she's a child and, you know, you kind of get an idea of the, of the you know, the greater world. So I like starting from those points. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: All right, to finish off this scene, uh, Atlanta dives into the water and she's off. And then we have this long shot that starts like looking straight on at Tom and Arthur. And I I like how Tom is kind of holding Arthur. It seems like a very good father-son kind of dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, But then the camera pulls away. And then again, we have a long flowing kind of shot that goes into the water Um, So like you said, it has that sort of motif or visual style that's pretty consistent throughout the movie. And to me also by doing that straight on shot out out of the dock and then we can see the lighthouse in the back. It also lets us know that this location that we're leaving is an important location that we are going to be coming back to. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I I liked that shot um, just in terms of its visual consistency. And then also to me, it was very clear, like, okay, we need to remember what we're leaving right now as we pull away from it. We're also kind of following in the tracks of Atlanta. Like we're sort of leaving with her, mm-hmm. um, even though we're not literally going with her, but in a sense we are.
1: Yeah, looking back on the the, the loved ones that she's leaving behind. Yeah, like so the, the camera pulling out, it, it even has an emotional kick because mm-hmm. you know it's it's like looking at her, at her husband and her child in the rearview rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, both her and Laura and Man of Steel are. I, I mean, like a mother purposefully having to like leave their child is I mean that's just heartbreaking to think about it's probably would be the most difficult thing you could ever do so just the the camera work in this movie gets that across um so yeah it's a it's a very emotional shot um yeah beyond also just looking really nice
0: yeah and it's interesting like I'm just thinking about my own reactions and when Diana she's much older and she leaves Hippolyta also on the shore and is kind of going off. Mm-hmm. That was also a very emotional scene, but in a different way. Um, it's, you know, it's a somewhat, yeah, it's a grown woman who's going off to her adventure, but they might not see each other again. And so it has that emotion to it. And Hippolyta had been so protective of her and stuff. And now she's leaving the nest. Um, but in this case, it's just, no, it's a three-year-old, like, you know, just at the beginning of their life. And you don't even know their full personality yet in terms of like what they'll be as a adolescent and then as a young adult and all that stuff so Mm -hmm. um i mean there's there's
1: got to be like a feeling of responsibility too because obviously a baby also you know can't take care of itself it feels like Mm -hmm. you know they're dependent on you so leaving them even if your intentions are good you know you, you would have to feel like you're abandoning that responsibility but she obviously has a greater responsibility to keep them alive but it doesn't make the decision any easier
0: All right, I think we will call that our analysis for Scenes 3 and 4 of Aquaman. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And also thanks to our patrons. We really appreciate the support. Uh, we've started our Man of Steel analysis. Uh, Sydney, how do you feel about that so far, a few scenes into Man of Steel?
1: Oh, I'm really excited that we we've started doing that because, I mean, I was just a listener back when uh, you and Alessandra were doing Batman v Superman, and that's what hooked me to the mm-hmm. podcast. So, you know, it's great that you guys have been doing Every movie, D- DC movie since, but, you know, Man of Steel is also one of those really great ones. Yeah. So, you know, getting to go back to that is great, and I'm really happy to um, have the opportunity to help you guys out with it.
0: Yeah, we're only you know we're a few scenes in so far, but man, it feels good to be back in a Zack Snyder movie.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I'll just I'll just put it, leave it like that for now. But uh, it's it's been a lot of fun so far.
1: Yeah, I love our um, other DC directors, but yeah, Zack, Zack Snyder is sort of like where it started, so yeah. <laughs> it's great. It feels like coming home. <laughs>
0: So uh, you can find uh, be part of that Man of Steel analysis at patreon.com slash JLU podcast. Also, for everybody, uh, we're doing another giveaway. We're going to do $20 towards a DC merchandise or product that you can pick. So if you got your eyes on a DC movie or a graphic novel or a statue that has caught your eye, um, you can enter to win $20 towards that DC merchandise. Um, to enter, you can go to our Patreon page. Uh, anybody in the public can look at the Patreon post and you can leave a comment there with your name to be entered. You can also enter on Twitter. Um, just use the hashtag JLU giveaway and the hashtag Release the Snyder Cut. We always got to get that one in there as well. <laughs> yeah. But if you just have a tweet with those hashtags, JLU giveaway and Release the Snyder Cut, you will be entered. Um, you can also email us at jlupodcast at gmail.com. Um, so we're hoping to give that $20 away, you know, pretty soon. Our patrons, by the way, if you're a patron, you are already entered into all of our giveaways. So you have a chance to win, but you can submit additional entries in these other forms, even our patrons, if you want to have some additional chances to win. So looking forward to giving that away. And, uh, I think that will be good for now. So Sydney, thanks so much for talking with me today.
1: (laughs) Thank you for having me on.